Life Audio. Hey, thanks for listening to the Happy Rant Podcast. I want to tell you about our partner, Visual Theology. If you go to visualtheology.church, you can check out the full slate of resources that they offer. Visual Theology is one of the best biblical and theological resourcing sites on the internet. There's digital resources, there's print resources, and as you can tell by the name, they are visually inclined. So the, the idea is beautiful, well-imagined design to help us understand the Bible and theological concepts better, taking difficult passages of scripture, big theological concepts, and putting them into a visual form, whether that's in a book or on a poster or on a t-shirt, that allows us to better grasp what those mean, along with some really clear written biblical teaching. So if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're in ministry, especially youth ministry, college ministry, if you're a small group leader, or if you just want to understand the Bible and theology better, visit visualtheology.church and use the code HAPPYRANT at checkout for a 20% discount. You will be astounded at the quality of the design as well as the clarity of the teaching. It is an, an incredibly helpful collection of resources. So again, visualtheology.church and use the code HAPPYRANT at checkout for a 20% discount. I also want to let you know that we have a Patreon site. For those of you who aren't familiar, Patreon is a site that allows listeners like you to support content creators like us financially. We joke a lot about uh, being big business mavens and how much money we make on this podcast. The answer is uh, we actually don't make very much money on this podcast at all. So the financial support that many of you already give and that we would love more of you to give is really helpful for covering our production costs, for doing spinoff things like our sports show, for doing live events, all of which have a cost attached that would otherwise come out of our pockets. So if you go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash happy rent podcast, you can check out our site. What you'll find there is a chance to give any amount monthly, could be a dollar, could be a thousand dollars at different tiers. We will send you free signed books. And then here's the kicker. We do bonus podcast episodes exclusively for our Patreon supporters. We try to do them weekly. It probably comes out to be more like 35, 40 times a year. We've done over 50 of these since we opened our Patreon account. So you have all of that backlog. These are exclusive. We don't release these in the normal feed except occasionally exclusive for our Patreon supporters. So again, go to patreon.com slash happy rent podcast. And we would love it if you were able and willing to support us for any amount monthly. Lastly, I want to highlight our sports podcast. Ted and I do a sports podcast. It used to be part of this feed. And for some of you, it was a highlight. For others of you, you were like, skip that mess. Well, it is its own thing now. So you're welcome to those of you who don't like sports. For those of you who do, go to wherever you get podcasts and search Happy Ranch Sports. Please subscribe to it. Share it with friends. You'll be familiar with it. We're not analysts, we're not reporters, but we do some analysis. It's a lot of fan interaction. It's what we love about sports. It's how sports interact with life. We talk a lot of uh, a lot of nostalgic sports, what we used to love, how we played growing up, how we became fans, those kinds of things. We'd love it if you listened. It's a really good time. Just go search for Happy Rant Sports wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Podcast. I am your host, Barnabas Piper, filling in for Ted Cluck, who is in the midst of the all of the fun that professors have in the week before classes. It sounds like a lot of committee meetings and summits and 
colloquiums and I don't know what all else they do, but he sounded thrilled about it. So <laughs> he's, he's his tone of voice via text was not uh, was not enthusiastic. So not great. Yeah, it sounds like he's doing what we kind of do on a weekly basis, and yeah. they just really ramp it up this one week. During orientation, right? But but you will know this, Ronnie, that being in the, I mean, you know, you're pursuing your 11th degree or whatever, and uh, the academic world does that stuff in a uniquely soul-sucking way. Like no in doubt. the church, there are there are occasionally lots of meetings, but if it's going well, there's there's sort of like a purpose and a life to them. And in yeah. academia, it just feels like, hi, we would like to. We'd like to suck all the fun out of this and drain your brains of all pertinent thought and then send you into the classroom. Is that more or less accurate? I think it is. And then, and it makes you wonder, like, like there, I'm always surprised that there isn't somebody within the mix of those things that just goes, Hey, why don't we not do this? Why don't we like <laughs> step this up? Why don't we change the narrative on this? It feels a little bit like hazing to me, you know, like you come into high school as a freshman and all the upperclassmen like stick you in a garbage can or whatever, and everybody (laughs) hates it. And then you become an upperclassman and you keep passing it down. You're like, well, it was done to me. So I got to keep doing it to the losers who come in behind me. And and there's this culture of it. And nobody at any point goes, hey, did anybody ever enjoy this? No, maybe maybe let's not do that to the freshmen. It was just like, it's like academic hazing is kind of what it looks like from the outside. Yeah. It's almost like unprocessed, like it's like inner aggression, right? Where you're just, you're just, it's like the ultimate, like passive aggression, right? Plus all of these people were definitely the ones who ended up in garbage cans, except for Ted, because he's the rare person who's in academia and a former like, I know. Bo- boxer and football player. I know Ted is in a, I know Ted is in a really unique spot with that. I like, we've never really talked about that, but there's a, there's a lot of contradictions He's a very contradictory guy in terms of what he does and the life he lives. And I mean, you know, I, I mean, as, as a guy who's kind of the same way in a lot of ways, but, but in different ways, um, I understand it. But yeah, I'm always a little fascinated by the whole, like, you would have probably have never, you would have never bingo carded Ted into being a professor if you would have been able to step back and look at his like sports life, right? Oh, absolutely. And yeah, the, the writing thing makes sense because there's a lot of people who move from, from, sports into kind of media yeah because, oh yeah 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 and especially because ted started writing about sports that's kind of where he his publication career took off but yeah the moving from there into like the christian education space and all of its uh procedures and rigmarole is a bit odd yeah <laughs> well why don't we take a quick break and then we'll come back and we have uh we have a scintillating topic to talk about today and we'll get to that in just a moment Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, we're back. And uh, so what we what we had discussed discussing 
is discussing politics. So we're going to have a discussion about discussing politics. Uh, And we just lost half of our listeners. They're just, they just punted their phones. No, don't go. They already downloaded. And uh, so that that counts. (laughs) No, don't go though. We're, we're, it's, it's not what you think. Yeah, don't worry. We're not actually talking about politics. We will not. We will not discuss a single contentious issue. We are going to discuss discussing contentious yeah, issues. That's, that's what it is. Talking about talking about the thing. I mean, I, honestly, the only time I'm going to mention, you know, Lynn Cheney is just right now saying her name, and uh, and, and or Liz Cheney, and that's it. See, I've I love that you name. got the name wrong. It's perfect. What a great setup! It is. It's so great. It's 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 so it's so representative of of where I'm at with some of that stuff, you know. But I I had to Google her recently, you know, because she's been all over the Twitter sphere, and I was like, I don't I don't know. I know she's I know she's in politics, and I think she was a senator, but I don't uh-huh. really know what she does. So uh, that's that's my level of sort of <laughs> intentional disengagement. However, as we wrote about in the Happy Rant book, you know. The three of us, I'm going to speak for Ted, come at this with kind of different levels of both investment and caution, I think is a yeah. good way to put it. Sort of the trepidation yeah, sure. or in Ted's case, utter disgust. Uh, yeah. He he sort of writes about it. He's, he, basically, he he's like, I grew up s- solidly Midwestern where you, you talk about politics the same way you would talk about like the color of your socks or your brand of underwear, like you just never do. And why would you? That's that is yeah. somebody else's business. Yeah. Um, whereas I grew up uh, in, a, in a context where we didn't talk party politics, but we did talk about political issues a lot. You know, my my parents were very involved in particularly the, the pro-life uh, mm-hmm. efforts in the 90s, especially and uh, lived in a pretty ethnically diverse neighborhood one of the one of the more diverse neighborhoods in the country at the time mm-hmm. and and yeah. so there's there was just a whole different sort of exposure to issues uh how did you kind of in in your in your growing up years how did you kind of get uh get sucked into politics or like how did it come at you yeah so my parents were not they were i mean they were your you know gosh how do i you know they would have been part of that 70s 80s kind of, you know, uh, a little bit of that, that, you know, that, that moral majority, you know, um, you know, conservative resurgence, kind of conservative resurgence, um, where it's like, you know, it really, it really was more morality based and it was this, Hey, look what's happening to our country. And, um, what are the things that we need to primarily guard our kids, uh, from, um, because we see that, you know, there's just this uh, profound slide into, you know, into liberalism. And by liberalism, what we're talking about is, you know, um, lack of morality and, um, you know, pro-abortion issues and, and those types of things. So it was just talked about in terms of, hey, um, there is a, and this was, I think this was, this was symptomatic of just the way a lot of evangelicals looked at the world in, in those era and still do in some ways, obviously, but it was like, there's a big, bad, evil world out there that we're trying to protect you against. And the best thing to do is to just counter it with alternatives. Um, and, but disengage from it in a way that just says, Hey, if you even, if you get too close to it, you will become it. So there wasn't a really good way of processing any of that other than stay out of all of those ugly things in the world um, and because they're damaging and they're turning our country against God. And, you know, obviously this is a God-fearing nation 
And, um, and so that was the, that was the approach. And I think it was only talked about on that level. And then when it was an election cycle, you know, uh, you know, there, there would be the, uh, the, the, there would be the, you know, they'd, they'd vote for whatever Republican was running at the time. And, uh, that was it. Not, not a lot of fanfare about it, to be honest. So, yeah, that, and that, that sounds familiar to the environment I grew up adjacent to. My parents were, they worked really hard not to be party politics people. Um, you know, so we, we yeah. again, we discussed issues, but not like, I remember asking my dad when I was probably 10, you know, are you a Republican? <laughs> and he just kind of, he just kind of shook his head slowly and was like, I'd vote based on who I see aligning with the truth best. And yeah. in his, you know, in his estimation, and I think it's pretty accurate. Truth is at, you know, as defined by God's word, not just sort of, you know, my, my preferences. And so that was kind of formative for me. And it gave me like, I, I've never felt totally politically homeless because I just kind of looked at it and I was like, well, I'm not homeless. I just don't live in either of those two parties. Um, yeah. So that, which, which has been a little bit freeing, but so let me, you know, given, well, the, let me, let me, let me go yeah. out. Let me ask you about that for a second, because I think um, that's a really unique perspective that your dad took. Right. And I wonder I wonder if that was in some ways costly because again the um you know the sort of evangelical movements that we were part of growing up I mean there was there was no sense of like well you know I'm I'm not really aligning with a party as much as I just I'm I'm voting for the one that best aligns with biblical truth I mean that was just not how things were presented I mean it was republican or die and if you were even a pastor like it it was there's the good party and then there's the evil party and um you know, and, and the good party is on the right and the evil is on the left. So there was none of this. That would have been a very like almost centrist kind of approach that your dad took, even the way that he described that to you, we would call that, we would call that pretty centrist. Now, did he, did, was that strange? It wasn't strange to you because that's all you heard, but I wonder if that cost him something even back then by describing it that way. I, it may have, but I think, I think the other th- one of the things that kept it from being super costly to him is that politics were just kept out of the pulpit, right? And right. and out like it was at our church. There just wasn't political conversation. There was a, a candidate was never mentioned. You know, there was. You know, my my dad I think was actually responsible for moving the American and the Christian flags off the stage of the church. You know, right, they'd been there yeah. for decades through the seventies, and he he became the pastor in nineteen eighty. And at somewhere along the way, I think it was like when we when we moved from a hundred and twenty year old sanctuary to a new building they built in the early nineties, those flags just sort of never came back, and uh, that kind of thing. So he just he wanted to remove. Yeah. Anything that's like loyalty to nation from it, the confusion it can cause with loyalty to to Christ. And that, you yeah. know, that's that's our that's our citizenship was just sort of the posture. And so and he just wouldn't get sucked into to public political, th- uh, you know, debates and things like that. He was very public. You know, he would preach once a year Sanctity of Life Sunday on on that issue he would he would preach on uh, mlk weekend on issues of race that's another one that he thought deeply about he's since written a book about it which as we've seen in our political context kind of puts him in in two places because if you talk about race you know you're you're so far left that you've you've jumped the shark and if you are pro-life you're so far right that you've jumped the shark and he's he's somehow both um right so 
that it didn't feel weird to me because in the context of church community, politics was not a defining thing. What was weird was when I would go to people's houses and they would be very political and I'd be like, whoa, you're like, what is happening? Settle right down. <laughs> you know, it, it would it would be like going somebody's going to somebody's house and having them like they have their team colors all over the wall. You know, it's, it's Green Bay Packers everywhere. And I'm like, whoa, you this is this is not healthy. That kind of thing. It, it, it felt the same way where you're like, this feels like a, a bit of a, a shrine worship situation. Um, and so it I think it made it actually easier for me to navigate things because it's been fascinating watching people, my peers, and, and especially maybe people a little bit older than me who grew up with a loyalty to particularly the Republican Party because I was so attached to uh, conservative evangelicalism, <clears throat> feeling politically homeless now because the party doesn't yeah. stand for what they remembered it standing for or whatever. We don't want to get into all those, those issues. But they, they, there's, there's sort of a... The party that we loved, we've we've now lost. And I was like, I don't know, never felt that loyal to him, never was overly impressed by either party as sort of the answer. And so it's it's made it less uh, emotionally burdensome. You know, I mean, that's really interesting, too. And I think even like, you know, the phrase politically homeless, I mean, it's like. That phrase is is implying a lot, right? It's assuming a lot. It's it's, 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 <laughs> so it's assuming much. it's assuming that we are we are meant to have a home somewhere politically. And I know what people mean by that. And I know people can use that phrase and not not mean that in its ultimate sense. So I understand that too. But um, but yeah, that's a phrase that I, I and I remember when that phrase started getting kind of thrown around, and it definitely didn't resonate with me. Um, I think. You know, to get personal about it, I want, and I want to, and you've kind of expressed this a little bit, but I, I want to hear you go a little deeper with this pipe. But like personally, um, I've just had a general, I, I would say different than Ted, but I've had a general sort of disengagement with politics. I think just on a really normal, you know, kind of um, in terms of my wiring, it, it, it has never like held a huge interest for me. So right. let's just say politics was awesome and it, it's the most fun thing in the world and people enjoy it and it's the way people come together and there wasn't all this disunity and polarization and it was kind of a generally great thing. I still think it just, it's not something that I, I just, I get a lot of interest and joy from. It's kind of like cars, right? Like I, I want a car that runs and uh, gets me from point A to point B and I want it to be comfortable, but I, I don't generally get like really psyched about cars, right? It's just, it's not a, it's not an area of interest for me, um, no matter what. And I not, think that's what. No, no Ronnie, the gearhead, like Ronnie with, with oil up to his elbows, tinkering yeah, under his man. like 67 Mustang hood. Well, I mean, I pay people to do that. We discussed that last week, but um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, but it's just not a thing for me. So in that way, like politics, it's kind of the same thing for me, right? It's just no matter what it is, not, no matter if I, like, no matter if I, if I'm presented with a, a candidate or a politician that I think is a really, you know, great woman or a great man, you know, it's like, it's still just like, okay, cool. But I, but I, I don't tend to like put a lot of thought and get a lot of, get a lot of joy. And I don't, you know, I don't invest a lot of, uh, you know, mental energy, um, into it at all. And I think, I don't know if part of that is, uh, you know, just the way I was brought up because again, it it wasn't a huge piece like in the house. Uh, the other thing too, is that I also want to recognize, right. That being able, given my position and my place and my upbringing to be able to disengage from politics at that level is, is a privilege as well. So, um, one of the reasons triggered the mess out of somebody, (laughs) but one of the, you said privilege, 
I know, but it's true. One of the reasons why I can, well, you, you're able to disengage from things because you have the opportunity to do it in a way that doesn't largely affect you. Right. Yeah. So let's just, let's just define it as that. And so, so in a way that is not in, in a way that, that, I mean, I'm willing to get some good counsel on. I've, I've been able to disengage in some of those ways. Part of it is wiring. Part of it is just general or lack of general interest. Part of it is just being able to, given my context, right? So um, I'd like to unpack that a little bit because I have a feeling in some ways you come from the same place and, but you know, you obviously we're wired a little bit differently, but I'd like to hear a little bit of your background with that. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and then I'll, uh, I'll dig into that. All right. So yeah, just thinking about the sort of uh, the disinclination to engage, I, I was probably I was probably in college when I started to realize the distinct difference between caring about <clears throat> issues that are political mm-hmm. or that have distinct political ramifications and uh like loyalty to a political party or a political figure um because you know in college you, you just at least I did I just debated you know everybody uh I, that's what happens when you're a <laughs> jackass um and so it, I would, you know, you get into debates about whatever economic stuff or abortion stuff or racial stuff or justice stuff or, you know, criminal justice, whatever. And uh, and when I got into a debate with somebody who was tr- like a really politically minded, I immediately was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, yeah. I don't yeah. I don't care. <laughs> I no longer care. And I don't know. You know, you're you're pulling in you know, Reagan's policies on this and that. I'm like, A, you weren't born then. I know this because I was there. Uh or or you you know, we were five. And and B, I, I don't I don't know and I don't care. There's just was sort of a it's it's a total shutdown. It's a little bit you know, you mentioned cars earlier. Like I love old cars, but I love them like works of art. You know, I love yeah. to look at them. It's cool to stroll through a car show. Um, <clears throat> they're just sort of like, they, they are genuinely beautiful things. But when somebody's like, oh man, the engine on that, they, you know, when they, in the, in, in the 69, when they upgraded this, I'm like, yeah, you lost me. I don't care. You, I, I no longer <laughs> have any interest in what you're saying. That was, that's kind of me in politics. I was like, this is fascinating. Also, don't, yeah, no, not, not. It's gone too far, way. right? Yep. There's a, there's a line and you've crossed it. Yeah. <laughs> and. And that, and all of that was, I would say, in a fairly non-contentious environment. Again, we're we're talking about the politics in just sort of a the same way you might people might debate uh, best restaurant in town. Like it, there's no there's no cost to being right or wrong or having an opinion there. What what has shifted dramatically and confused the matter much more for me in the last ten years, maybe less than ten years, seven eight years, is how how politics is now it's not even a minefield it's just like a vat of acid like you wade into that conversation you are going to get burned there is no like tiptoeing through it safely and i think social media has played a huge role in that because i think i could have civil conversations with most people about political things to a point yeah but that doesn't exist online yeah and and it's now become a it has it has tried to make its way into the church in a way that uh 
you have to you have to very intentionally avoid it instead of just sort of being like, yeah, we don't really do that here. There's sort of a like we need to build a wall between us and politics so that when people come in here, they can like breathe easy and for an hour and a half a week feel a little bit of soothingness. And those things have felt a lot more kind of, oh, that's new. That's different. Like it's not just the ability to disengage passively, just sort of shrug and be like, not really my thing. It feels harder than ever. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a really great point. Um, you know, it's I think so when I, I think like getting into all like our vocations, right? So obviously you there there's also I think this maybe pressure is a bad word because um, I don't necessarily feel pressure, although at times I feel like hey, you know, when something comes up and it's something that is you know that that's hit social media, it's hit the news cycle, and it's something of a really distressing nature and it's affecting kind of the country and everybody's talking about it i mean i think those are the moments where i go okay so i i would i actually need to do research into this to be able to talk about it in a way that shows i know what i'm talking about or at least have the information that's available but there is a there is a slight bit of of pressure or just even like discernment in terms of like should i talk about this like should i should i engage with this like i have people that god has put under my care And they're they're wondering, they're asking questions. Maybe they're wondering even how to think about it. Is it is it is it part of my role to help them think through it or to give them ways of thinking through it? Not necessarily if it's just about who to vote for, but even things you know, like when a George Floyd things a George Floyd thing happens, you know, like do we do we need to engage and address these things because they've become politicized? Help people think through these things, or do we just go, you know what? There's no place for it. And you guys make up your own mind. And I mean, so, so I think, I think especially in the last few years, like those are the questions that have surfaced in terms of like, how do I respond as somebody who's in a position of authority, um, you know, with, with a congregation, right? Yeah, that, I think you and I have talked maybe, maybe off the podcast about some of this, just in our, in our respective contexts, trying, trying to navigate some of that. And it always feels like the wrong answer, but there's sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's just so obvious. Like we have to address this in some way. So yeah. most recently was the 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 Supreme Court decision about Roe versus Wade. Yeah. You know, our church is in Nashville. Nashville is a pretty progressive city. We are a theologically conservative church, which often goes hand in hand with political conservatism, but not necessarily. So we have we have kind of a spectrum in our church, mm-hmm. and so you know. How do we how do we address this without alienating people, but also saying we view we view the the value of human life as well as compassion towards any mothers or prospective mothers or abortive mothers this way? You know, so what does compassion Mm -hmm. look like as well as, you know, and and honestly, that's not a political statement. That's a that's a that's a biblical statement about humanity that will 100% be perceived politically on both sides. So it feels like the wrong answer. So, But we responded because that's a social consciousness issue. That's kind of what we, you know, we try to figure out, is this something that is weighing on the majority of our people's hearts when they walk in on a Sunday morning? So, um, and usually we address it in prayer more than statement. You know, Mm -hmm. so at, at a time when one of the pastors is leading prayer, it's, there might be a, a brief comment about it, but it's just in the prayer so that it's not a it's really hard for people to argue with you when you are laying something before the Lord 
and you just say, you know, Lord, this is contentious. You know, we want to be loving. We want to be celebratory in the right ways, or we want to, you know, we want to fight mm-hmm. against injustice, whatever the issue is. And people can't really get on your case when you're doing things in biblical language to God, which is helpful. But <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, I mean, it's, but most issues don't rise to that point. So I would say, like, we would address something like after a presidential election. We're not going to stand up and make statements about candidates. We are going to talk about, you know, submission to the true king and and a call for peace and unity in Christ and kind of acknowledging the tension, but pointing to a solution. That's it, it feels like the best possible way forward, but it doesn't really answer the question of if people come and they're like, how do I think about this? How do I navigate this? We're not really giving them. A, you yeah. know, kind of a systematic answer. And that sometimes feels like we could do more, but that is so risky. You know, I've, you have one-on-one conversations. They're like, yeah, what is the yeah. church's stance on this? And you're like, uh, our doctrinal statements is literally about doctrine. Like it's not about economics and, and, and socialism. Like that's not in there. So, so, so uh, we Social, don't, you know, I love it. We, socialism. We you haven't, know? we haven't taken a stance on, on, uh, you know, the democratic socialist, whatever, like that's not, that's not a thing that we've engaged in as a church. Piper, there's a cold war going on out there. And I just wanted to sit down with you and just discuss like where you guys are at with communism, you know? Yeah. It's that kind of, I mean, we uh, periodically, you get those questions because, because this stuff is more than a hobby horse for people. It's like, uh, I mean, for some people, it's just a straight up idol. Everything is seen through a political lens instead of a biblical one. And, and, you know, then they try to kind of wedge the Bible in on the other side and be like, well, that fits in here. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with that. And then for other people, it's more like a looming fear. So it's not, it's not necessarily an idol as much as like, is America coming to its end? And, you know, maybe, I don't know. Um, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not a great projector of such things. I love that. Barnabas just said America might be coming to an end, but he's not sure. Um, what do we, dad, what do we do with that information? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And, and not a thing I would say from the pulpit, but then again, like you look at it, you're like every great empire in history has come to an end. And a lot of them have trended in, in a direction that is not so dissimilar from where we're going. Now we might, you know, I don't know, but that's, Again, that's not that's not a pastoral like yeah. responsibility to talk about the end of an era. It's a pastoral responsibility to talk about faithfulness to Christ. What is the church's church as body of Christ, not as you know, uh, body of of voters? Uh, what is the church's purpose in the midst of this? So it's. It's, I, would, I would venture to say that I think a pastor who's doing a good job is kind of a constant frustration and disappointment to, to politically minded people because they're speaking into it, but not directly answering the questions. Because when you start to get into that, you start to get into matters of preference, not biblical, you know, standard. Yeah, no, I, I resonate with that. I think, I think it's, it's, you know, speaking about these things in a prayerful way. And by that, I mean literally by praying through it and bringing those things up in a prayer, I think is really wise. Um, and I think, um, I think just in the kind of churches that we're in that are, that are trying to actually get people um, to kind of recenter them on a weekly basis back to what actually, you know, um, matters and what needs to be the thing that is steering their heart and, 
you know, um, allowing them to have greater affection towards the right thing rather than all these other things. I mean, it's just a constant battle. And at the same time, um, you know, you're going to talk to, you're going to talk to 10 different pastors and get 10 different, uh, you know, again, you know, let's just say good pastors that are going to have 10 different ways on how they want to navigate this based on their context. And I think that's one of the things too, (coughs) excuse me, as I'm coughing, that social media it tries to generalize our response to these things. And I think um, we always have a contextual response to these things. So obviously, like the town you're in is different than the town I'm in. They respond to things differently. The things that are important to people in Nashville are going to be different than the things that are important to people in Ashland. So th- certain things need to be addressed w- in, a, in a particular way. And maybe some things don't ever need to be addressed because it's not really even questions that people are asking. And sometimes that's hard to even determine what that is, right? But as you get to know your people more and more, you get a sense of what's kind of going on in their minds when a current event is being splashed all over, you know, the media. And But there's, you know, I think we just have to be prayerful about that because you can always step into something that that is really unhelpful because, again, you're not even answering a question anybody's asking. And then you can also ignore something that's not helping somebody process better and they're just maybe they're just being open they're saying hey i don't even know how to think about this yeah and if you could help me think through this i'm not i'm not going to be angry anything you say i'm not going to be angry i just don't even know how to think about it what it's you know? yeah and that's that's such, the point you made about context is is so significant in i mean it's, it's significant in relational context as well you know just sort of if like if you're going home for a holiday and you're going from new york city to like i don't know uh rural pennsylvania where your family's from, like you just, you just, you need a passport politically to go from one of those places to the other in terms of the kinds of conversations that are going to happen. The like, context is king in these things. And so, you know, you can't walk in there with sort of your, your New York sensibilities and, and, and to, to pencil Tucky and, and, and have a conversation with uncle Jack about whatever. It's not going to go yeah. well. And pastors can't take their cues from big city, famous, uh, you know, stuff on YouTube or podcasts or whatever, you know, you, you shouldn't look to how Emmanuel is doing things for how you handle it in in your context. You might listen to it and go, there are pieces of that that are helpful. Totally mm-hmm. wouldn't resonate with our people. We need to do yeah. things a little different here, which is, I mean, that's part of the job of the pastor is like, who is your flock? <laughs> Shepherd the flock that is among you in your small town, in your state. And that I, I remember th- this clicked for me years ago. Realize, you know, when you watched all the Mark Driscoll imitators, yeah, and you were like, Mark Driscoll. I mean, f- f- for whatever his faults were, there was a success there because he found a cultural touch point in a grunge city of Seattle, where like that sort of aggressive, dark, mm-hmm. whatever it hit, it landed with with that people at that time. It doesn't work in Orange County. It doesn't work in Tulsa. It doesn't work in Dallas. Like yeah. the it, but because he had a broadcast ministry, people were like, "Oh, I'm going to totally absorb this and do this." And and you know, you saw the same thing with like Rob Bell. You know, Rob Bell has this very, you yeah. know, storytelling, narrative-driven thing that totally worked in Holland, Michigan, because you had a bunch of like dried-up husks of Christian Reformed cynics. And and this brought life to them in a community. They were like, oh, we've never seen this before. Not going to work in New York City. It's not going to yeah, work in, in sure. Atlanta or something like that. And so the same is true politically that, you know, the, the truth remains the truth. But 
navigating it is super contextual. What do you do with, um, you know, what do we do as the church with, and, and mainly as like church leaders, you know, when we go into the gospels and, you know, again, we're, we're only given the accounts that were written for us, inspired for us. And, um, we don't know the conversations Jesus was having, you know, with his disciples in the margins about all kinds of different, you know, social, you know, local current issues that were, that were happening. I mean, they were in, you know, obviously they were in a very politically charged environment, you know, when you really look at what was going on there. And yet, you know, from the mouth of Jesus, we get very, very, we almost, we don't really get like this. We don't really get his political opinions on what was going on at the time. And when he was, you know, in the, the famous, you know, you know, the render unto Caesar line, one of the famous, you know, political quote unquote political statements that he made just to, um, you know, again, just so that he wouldn't be trapped by, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the religious uh, leaders that were trying to trap him, you know, there's just, there wasn't a lot of there. We didn't, we didn't get a lot of political commentary from the mouth of Jesus. And yet we got a bunch of, we got a lot of talk and a lot of communication from him um, in terms of our character and which again, then applies to how we approach anything, like whether it's, you know, politics or whatever it is, but it's really curious that, um, you know, as, as pastors, as church leaders, we still got to think about even the ways that Jesus um, approached those issues again with, with, you know, again, context and all those things coming into play. But I think what I don't hear get discussed a lot of is even the way that um, even the way that Jesus himself, what he talked about, the things he seemed to focus on, the things he didn't seem to focus on and how that should inform our approach. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it is really it is really telling. And I think as a general principle, you know, making moral laws out of things that the Bible doesn't make a moral law out of is always a bad idea. And politics is one of those things. So sort of like you talked about growing up in the 80s, and there was sort of an understanding in huge swaths of the church that like to be a Christian was to be a Republican. I should say the white church. I mean, that's a a pretty, pretty white evangelical idea. But the same is true on the other side. There were people who were like, how could you be a Christian and not, you know, be a Democrat? And so you, 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 you create a moral law out of something that the Bible is notably silent on. Um, I think, I mean, the other thing that, and you see this from Paul and you see it from Peter in their epistles, you see it from Jesus in kind of how they don't navigate things. Mm -hmm. They were profoundly realistic men about the, the powers that be. They were under the thumb of an empire and a culture that was marked by, you know, injustice. And rather than railing against it, they sort of navigated within it. And the the overall attitude was focus on the spread of the kingdom of Christ, and that will subvert so many things. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you see, even in the way Paul writes about slavery, it, which is a text that people have used historically to say, see, slavery's fine. Paul tells slaves to submit and whatever. What Paul is doing there is saying, reflect Jesus Christ and be part of this body, because it's he also calls a slave brothers with the master. Like there's a there's an equality there. And and he's saying, focus on the spread of the kingdom of Christ. And it it is a truly transformative thing, much more so than railing against the powers that be. 
He says, respect the, he says, respect the emperor. Peter says that Paul talks about how the Lord has put powers that be in. So if they're doing moral things, that's actually of God's order. So there's, that's about all you get though. The kingdom of Christ is it though. Like we, yeah, we have focused so much energy and time and, and, and vitriol and, you know, spilled so much ink and so many characters on American politics which are a blip on the historic radar. They don't they don't matter that much in the grand scheme of things. And no matter where you fall on them, they're not in sync with the kingdom of Christ for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, no that's I mean there yeah, and I think, you know, some of these things are going to have a little overlap, but I think that's I think that's what you're going to see is that there are some political issues that have a remnant of biblical truth or justice or honor or integrity um, sort of laced within them. But again, we, you know, we look at the last, you know, however many years of, you know, things, things that we are trying to marry with, um, you know, the Christian life that we're just, we're never meant to be married with that. And I think we just, I, you know, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of hope for, you know, uh, succeeding generations that are coming up with a little bit of a different mindset to where they're they're not going to have to work as hard to break away from that because even intellectually, um, there are they already feel broken away from that that mindset. So it's really going to be, I mean, you know, we're you know we're going to be old men, um, and maybe I won't even be here before we have the opportunity to see how some of those things have you know what the results and the fruit are of some of those those things. But I also think it can be. Um, you know, we can think uh, hopefully about that uh, as well. And I think, um, and I, I, I would want even our listeners to hear that from me is that um, not, you know, it's one thing to be disengaged. It's another thing altogether to be pessimistic. Yeah. Um, I think the Lord is in control and I think he is raising up generations that are going to be thinking differently about these things than even our parents did or my generation did. And I think that that can trend in a really gracious direction. It's never going to be perfect, and it's always going to be rife with issues. But it also doesn't mean we can't look at it, I think, in a hopeful way. Yeah, and and dis- disengagement from politics as they stand is not the same as passivity. They they which I think is part so, some of what you were saying. Like there's yeah yeah there there are we have not spoken much to the like well what do we do as right, christians exactly. which exactly. again i don't you know i don't want to give a prescription there are people who are who the lord has given them the abilities and the desire to be invested in this the civil guidance yeah. of cities states countries and we need christian influence in every sphere of life yeah you know that's because that brings justice to bear, brings mercy to bear. It 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 puts truth at the forefront in a in a time when that's pretty fluid, and that's good. Most of us, the the only political influence we really have is the is the voter booth, and our engagement in our society. So mm-hmm. loving our neighbors, participating in whatever, you know, sort of the healthfulness of the place. That's where I think we can feel sort of the burden off and just go, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are called to further the kingdom of Christ, which is a soul to soul thing, not a, you know, not a co-opting, not a conquering. And we have the freedom to just do that, even if the like, everything at the governance level goes off the rails. Yeah. And Amen. and that's that's just a pretty, I don't know, it 
it's a simplifying thing. It's not easy, but it is sort of a like you wake up and you go, what's my job today? It, it's not to freak out about politics or to fight with somebody or to win somebody to your party. None of those are actually terribly beneficial things to do. So yeah. it, it's I, I find it fairly burden lifting to think in those terms. I agree, man. Amen. I'll just give you the big amen on that one. All right. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back with one final topic that is uh, lighter hearted and hopefully gives people uh, some, <laughs> s- s- some fun and, and suggestions on the way out the door. All right. So the last couple minutes of the podcast, we simply want to uh, discuss what have we read for fun recently? Just things that we've enjoyed. Give some recommendations to readers and also cleanse the palate of politics uh, with something that is hopefully not even remotely similar. So I've been reading, um, I always want to read more bios and I never get around to it. So I've been reading this, uh, this selection of C.S. Lewis bios from, uh, what is his name? Henry Poe, Harry Poe. I, it's, yeah, it's I, Harry Poe. I think his name is Harry Lee Poe, which sounds a lot like, you know, like Colonel Sanders next door neighbor, but <laughs> dude, I know. And he, yeah. Right. And he, he looks a little like that too. Um, but They've um so there's the first part which show, which chronicles his early life and then I got the second book which kind of chronicles like kind of coming out of the, the he was in the army in the war he comes out of the war and then it's kind of that next section of life where he you know kind of goes into his 20s up to his 40s and then there's a third book coming out this fall which kind of chronicles 40s to you know whatever the end of his life where he's doing the majority of his writing and you know and he's at that point you know, he's, he's coming to a relationship with Christ. So he's being influenced in those ways, but they're really, they're super comprehensive. And like, I'm finding, I mean, you know, we've all read a lot of stuff about Lewis, but I'm actually, I actually learned some things about him that I'd never known before. Actually some kind of weird things, kind of kooky, <laughs> like, yeah, like pre-conversion things where I'm like, wow, he was into that. Like, oh, he was into weird. like the occult and stuff, wasn't he? Just some weird, yeah, just some weird, <laughs> some weird stuff. And, um, you just go, well, that's, Dude, that's really, really interesting. And so, um, I don't know. It's been fun. It's been light. It's been a little more lighthearted for me and informative. And I've just, I've really been digging it. He's a good writer. So he's done a really good job. It's not really dry. He kind of keeps it more like storytelling. And, um, it's, it's been really good. So I think it's called the, I don't know, the making of C.S. Lewis, the completion of C.S. Lewis. I forget. I'm screwing them all up. Harry Lee, Colonel Sanders. <clears throat> Harry Lee, Colonel Sanders. So yeah. that's been, I started that one on vacation. I just started book two and uh, that's been fun. Okay. I have a question for you about this because I have, as a, as a white Christian male, I feel, who is now in the pastorate, I feel a moral obligation to read biographies. I, I also generally hate biographies. I find yeah. them just heinously boring and preachy. But, you know, then, then you go see like, every year-end book list or summer reading list. And it's like, you should read these 11 volumes on, you know, Charles Spurgeon or whatever. And I'm like, I can I have one mini volume? Can I get like the Cliff's Notes on Charles Spurgeon? <laughs> that's that's where I'm at. What, <clears throat> how do you find fun in biographies? That's what I want to know. Because like, I just, I don't want to read them for homework. I want to read them for enjoyment. Well, I'm, you know, I resonate with that because I don't, I don't read a lot of them. And I think, I think part of it is just if you, if they, I mean, Lewis has just become mythical and legendary as a character. He, he's almost not a real person to us because of his stories. And so I think it's fun. It's fun to read about him as a person who did not walk on water. He was just, he was, he had a, he had a dizzying intellect, but he was profoundly normal 
and kind of mundane in all these other areas. And so, and I think, and I find a lot, it's funny because some of the stuff they talk about that he, he likes and he dislikes, I, I find some resonance with that. There's some similarities there. And I was kind of fascinated by that a little he, bit. He hated mowing his lawn. <laughs> He yeah he was really interesting about some of the things he liked and didn't like and I was like oh wow I I find a lot of resonance there it was just so that's been kind of fun but yeah it's not I think part of it too is um it's not dry and I think some I think some you know guys that that write biographies can be a little luxury and academic and dry and this guy is an academic he's a he's a prof but he I think he writes in a really compelling way so I was surprised I didn't know if I was going to like it. But it's been um, it's just been fun to learn about. It's almost like demythologizing C.S. Lewis, which I don't know is oddly kind of uh, interesting to me. Okay, that's yeah, that's how it sounds like. Biographies are fun if they're written by somebody who knows how to tell a story instead of somebody who's done academic research. For sure, I think so. Yeah. All right, uh, my my recent read for fun. There's there's two of them: one for the sports fans, and then one for the fiction fans. Um, the one for the sports fans, I think it's just called The Baseball 100 by Joe Posnanski. Joe is uh, he's one of my favorite sports writers. Just he he manages to kind of be a bit of a nerd about history and and statistics and all that. But he writes like somebody who has been he's the same kind of fan of baseball now that he was when he was like a 10 <clears throat> year old kid growing up in Cleveland. So. And it's just his rankings of the top 100 baseball players with like mini bios and anecdotes oh, and some legends. And so each one is, you know, somewhere between three and five pages. So it's a big book, but you can read it, you know, 10 minutes at a time. And it's it's really fun. It's a fun read. Oh, I love that. It's not a baseball dork read, um, although baseball dorks would enjoy it. The the other one is uh, I finished a couple weeks ago um, is called Ordinary Grace. It's a novel by William Kent Kruger, okay. and it <clears throat> it has that kind of Leif Anger feel to it. Um, it <clears throat> I would put Anger in sort of his own class in terms of writing characters and sort of the just sort of drawing you into the power of a story. But Kruger has he's written a couple novels that are like this. One is called um, This Tender Land. And the other, oh, is, yeah. or, the other right. is ordinary grace. They're both phenomenal. They're they're they both feature like thirteen, fourteen year old uh, boys as their main character, and so you have the the kind of the the childhood wonder aspect, the learning how to understand adults, and and a, you know when when a when an author writes about adults from the perspective of a thirteen year old, it really helps you understand how dumb adults can be. <laughs> As an adult, I find this fascinating and, and occasionally amusing. And he's just, it's a, they're really gripping stories. Like there's a, there's a mystery aspect to it. There's different things, but the plot feels secondary to the, the character interaction, the growth of the characters. Uh, Ordinary Grace is about a, is about a pastor's family in rural Minnesota. And, okay. and then uh, this tender land is a base. It's sort of a like, Huckleberry Finnish story about two guys who two kids who escape from a school, you know, one of those schools in the 30s and 40s where they tried to Americanize Native American yeah. kids. They escape yeah. from that and they they ride the river down like from northern Minnesota all the way down to, to try to freedom. Both of those are fantastic, really fun. So they're they're literary, but they're also like you, they're page turners. You can just flip through. Well, this own, but, Tender Land has gotten 
I mean, that's gotten amazing reviews, right? That's been really yeah. acclaimed. Yeah. Well, and what's crazy is that so the, the author, uh, William Kent Kruger, has written like a 20 book series uh, that's it's like, you know, one of those serialized crime crime novels where there's a main character who's a former sheriff in northern Minnesota. That's one of the reasons I love these books. There's a lot of there's a lot of Minnesota in them. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, so but like. Most of the time when authors write those sorts of books, you know, 20, 20 crime novels, whatever, they don't also put out real literary masterpieces. Right. And so he has these two novels that are just like, yeah, they're right up there with with Peace Like a River or something like that by Leif Anger or some of, you know, Frederick Bachman's work or these novelists that we just love. And then he has yeah. this other series that's just like it's crime solving. And and it's twenty books of crime solving and and there's you know they're really well written but it's just it's, he he does both things really well in their genre and yeah I really enjoy them. It's nice to find an it's nice to find an author like that. I gotta I gotta yeah I gotta look at this Tender Lamb because again I I feel like I've talked to some people that have read that. I, the other um the this is not a book but I wanted to mention this be, just so I this is my one percent sportiness coming out but um I saw. <laughs> I saw I saw Doc on a Prime uh, about Nolan Ryan called Facing Nolan, and uh, it was yes. it was great. It was okay. really great. Just learning about his life, and I don't know anything about him other than that he's a you know living legend, and um, and they just kind of chronicled his life, you know, from the from the very beginning to where he is now, and with all kinds of current you know kind of footage of him now with his family and all that stuff. It was really great. It was really entertaining. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch that. Uh, I just haven't gotten around to it because it's one that I will be watching by myself because no one else in my house will care. So uh, I just need to find a window of time when all the women in my house are doing something they enjoy and I can I can do that. But it's, well, I mean, you could it's one of those ones where you don't necessarily have to be a baseball person to enjoy it because it's right. just talking about a guy's really fascinating, interesting life, you know. That so. being said, trying to convince either of my kids to watch any documentary. I mean, I, at, at sixteen and thirteen, I would have I would have uh, jumped out of a window if somebody said documentary like that. That was the one you. video I wasn't excited about in school. Exactly. All right. Well, Ronnie, we have uh, we have wandered to and fro. We have. Through, We've done a, a whole variety of topics. Well, really, just two topics, and I uh, hope we haven't lost any listeners by talking politics and triggering people yeah, and whatnot. No but it's been a blast. And until next time. We want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Looking for ways to stay positive? Brighten your day with the free Story Behind podcast. Hear weekly short stories that showcase true joy, love, and hope. Listen now at lifeaudio.com or by searching for Story Behind wherever you get your podcasts.